Let's stand and take our Bibles tonight, if you would, Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. And if you'll, you'll turn there and look around. If your neighbor next to you doesn't have a Bible or if they don't have a King James Version translation, would you be kind enough to share your Bible with them, help them find their place, Acts chapter 16. How many of you glad you're in church tonight? Amen? Amen. All right, I know you're a little tired. It's been a long day, and it's warm, and the warmth has a tendency to zap our energy from us. But let's get really excited about being in church tonight. Amen? Acts chapter 16. And uh, tonight, I'm going to preach our theme verse for the conference and ask that God gives all of us a teachable heart and spirit. And uh, I'm praying this evening as we prayed over this and for our lives that uh, we'll just be sensitive to the Spirit's leading tonight. Acts chapter 16. Go down to verse 6 with me, please. Acts 16, verse 6. Now, when they had gone throughout Phrygia and the region of Galatia and were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia, after they were come to Mysia, they essayed to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered them not. And they, passing by Mysia, came down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. And after we had, he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. I normally, when we read passages like this, I like to take a moment for the church to just underline different phrases and thoughts. And quite honestly, all of this has to be underlined. And I call your attention to verse 9. An appeal, a request, a beckoning, a calling was given to a man of God that changed his life, changed that area of the world, and we are beneficiaries of today here in the 21st century. Two words tonight. If you let the Holy Spirit of God speak to your heart of all the different countries and continents of the world, Two words tonight could change this church, could change the destiny of foreign missions, could make all the difference in what happens here in the Bay Area. Those two words in verse 9 are, help us, help us, help us. Tonight I'm, I've prayed for tonight that God would wake us up and stir us every night of this week with those words, help us. Help us. Help us. And may God help us tonight to recognize the urgency of that plea is just as urgent tonight as it was 2,000 years ago. Father, this evening we're challenged by the testimony of Dr. Thomas. We're ta- challenged by that old chorus, For God so loved the world. And around the corner, around the world, everybody ought to know. And I know, Lord, that many in our church who are here tonight, our faithful group that's here, they've spent themselves through the Sunday morning, great crowd in church, great offering that was taken, baptisms, the gospel message being sown, folks saved yesterday out in soul winning, visitors in church. But, Lord, tonight as we close out the evening service, we need you to visit with us and touch our lives. I pray for the fullness of the Holy Spirit tonight. 
I pray, Father God, that you'd breathe on these words, even as you gave life to them when you, as inspired word. Breathe life once again in these words as they speak to us this evening. Touch our lives. Work in us a special way about the urgency of missions. Thank you tonight for the great work you'll do. Thank you for what you'll do in raising up faith, promise, support this coming Sunday. Thank you even during this week for, Lord, even maybe beginning tonight, for individuals, couples, families that you'll call to the mission field. And God, I pray this evening that something great and marvelous would happen to our lives because we obeyed you and we'll thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Almost two months ago this, this month, on June 28, 2018, a man entered into a place called the Capital Gazette. Armed with a 12-gauge shotgun, he barricaded the back exit doors to this building, went inside with a 12-gauge shotgun, and started shooting away as an active shooter. The end of all the upheaval and carnage, five people lost their lives, two were seriously wounded. In the midst of all the many survivors who are thankful to be survivors, was a young man who was serving as an intern for the summer at the Capitol Gazette in Annapolis, Maryland. His name was Anthony Messenger. Anthony Messenger cowered underneath a desk and tweeted on his phone. He tweeted the following message. Active shooter, 888 Bestgate. Listen to this. Please help us. Please help us. And you can only imagine the fear, the horror, the thoughts passing through people's minds. Will I get shot? Will I be killed? Will he find me? If it wasn't for one employee that was 65 years of age who charged that man, that active shooter, and charged him with a, with a trash can to try to deter him, and for those seconds which seemed like minutes to stop him, That woman's heroic act to delay that man prevented many more people from dying. But this man, Anthony Messenger, found his place. He hid somewhere, as many people did, and he tweeted away, Please, help us. Help us is a a call of desperation. It is a call of someone who has no resources or capability. It's a call of someone who's trapped and in need of immediate rescue. It's a call of a ship or an aircraft that's in distress. It's the call of victims of a natural disaster, such as a massive earthquake, a tsunami, hurricane, or flooding. Maybe you've known someone who has heard this call. Maybe you're someone who's made this call. Help us is the theme for the 2018 Missions Conference for Heritage Baptist Church. Help us are two words that changed the life of the Apostle Paul. Help us are two words that changed the face of missions. Help us are two words that you and I are beneficiaries of because one man obeyed the call to go to Macedonia and bring the gospel message to to that area of the world. Help us, Paul, they said. Help us, this man in Macedonia said to Paul. I want you to notice some things this this evening from this passage of Scripture that I pray will enlighten us, that I pray will energize us, that I pray will exhort us, that I pray will help us to understand the call of missions. First of all, what you notice in verses 1 to 8, we see the Spirit's roadblock. In Acts 16, we see the unfolding of Paul's second missionary endeavor. I hope this week you'll take some time 
to read from Acts chapter 11 all the way to Acts chapter 19 and read about the exploits of the Apostle Paul. And I hope as you read through this, you'll read slowly and carefully the unfolding drama of missions as it was unfolding back in those days. They didn't have all of the tools that we have right now, but they had one of the main things that you need to have. They had the Holy Spirit and they had the Word of God. And I'm going to tell you today, if you don't have any other tools, if you've got God's Spirit, He says, not by might nor by power, but by my Spirit, saith the Lord. And if you have God's Word, which is the sharp two-edged sword, which has the ability to pierce and divide asunder the soul and spirit and the joints and marrows, you have everything you need to get the work of missions done. You have exactly what God needs. And I want you to notice here in Acts chapter 16, Paul is starting out on his second missionary endeavor. He has a new partner. He has a man by the name of Silas with him. Silas is is described over in Acts chapter 15 as one of two men who hazarded their lives for the Lord Jesus Christ. I would tell you what tonight, if you got a man that would hazard his life for the Lord Jesus Christ, that says it all about his resume. Amen? That says it all about what this man is able to do. And Paul and this man Silas embark, and the first thing they do in chapter 16, verse 1, you'll notice this, they go back to the areas of Derby and Lystra. Paul's original intent was to go back there in that area of Lyconia and to strengthen the believers there in the Word of God, and he does so. But while there, we see Paul is introduced to somebody. And there, while he's there, we see a recommended enlistment. It's there that Paul is introduced to a young man that got saved a couple years earlier in his ministry. That young man's name is Timotheus. And you'll have to go back there to imagine what happened. But Timotheus got saved there. And Timotheus got into the local New Testament churches there that were in Derby and Lystra. He had a mother that we know about and a grandmother, Lois and Eunice. And they were godly people. And the Bible describes this recommended enlistment at, known as Timothy, that though his father was a Gentile, he was a Greek, and his mother was a Jewish, despite the fact, as far as we know, at that time, his father had not become a believer in Jesus Christ. His mother and grandmother were fervent servants of the Lord and taught him well. And notice in verse 2, we read about this recommended enlistment. He was well reported of by the brethren that are Lister and Iconium. You know, one of the purposes, I'm going to speak to young men tonight, in fact, all the men in particular tonight, one of the great things about being in a church is you want to be someone, men, of a good report. You want to be men that are fervent in the Lord. You want to be men who don't waste your time. You want to be men who are serious about Jesus Christ. You want to be men who have a heart for Jesus Christ. I thank God for some of the young men who come alongside and say, Pastor, can I shadow you? Pastor, can I follow you? Pastor, can you show me the ropes? Pastor, can you help me to learn how to pray? Pastor, can you help me learn how to win souls? Pastor, can you help me me get a fire in my soul? Can you help me show me how to get it done? I'm thankful for young men who are patient to wait, even though I have very little margin in my schedule that will make the time and find opportunities to lead them along the way. I want to tell you what, young men, stop fooling around. Don't waste your time on, on the internet. Don't waste your time playing on your cell phone. You get yourself the King James Version of the Bible. You decide to get a fire in your heart from the Word of God. And you decide to follow your preacher. You decide to follow some men of God and learn the ministry and decide tonight you're going to make your make something of your life. Do You can waste your time pursuing other things, but there's no greater endeavor than to serve the Lord Jesus Christ with your life tonight. I look at this man by the name of Timothy. He's just a young man, but the Bible says he's well reported of by the brethren of Lystra. I believe Timothy was among those people that were there in Acts chapter 14 when they stoned Paul. They drove, they took him out of Lystra and they stoned him there. And he, they let him, he was laying there in a pool of blood. I believe Timothy there as a young man was inspired by watching this old hero of the faith get up, broken bones, a knot in his head, blood pouring out of his body. They presumed and he was dead and he got back up. And I imagine Timothy hearing Barnabas and Lo, 
Lois and Eunice and the believers that were saved there saying, come on, Paul, you can get up. Come on, Paul, you can get up. Come on, Paul, you can get up. And I believe that young man was inspired by a man of God who didn't quit the ministry, who didn't quit because he got stoned, who didn't quit because he got criticized, who didn't quit because people didn't like him. He didn't quit because they threw him out of town. He got inspired. Watch that man of God get up in spite of the blood pouring out of his head and made his way right back in that same city where those people hated him. Right back in that same city where the people didn't want him. He was inspired to watch this man of God go there and preach the gospel and continue in spite of his injuries to go on and serve Jesus Christ. Paul wasn't looking for a vacation. He wasn't looking for a retreat. He wasn't looking for a way out. He was looking for the way to get back in. Amen. And he got there and served the Lord. And then I tell you what he left there and Timothy, he got around some brothers and sisters in Christ in Lystra and Derby who were on fire for God. He got into discipleship. He soaked up everything he could. He learned it. He learned the word of God. He memorized the scriptures. He learned how to win souls before Christ. And notice verse 2. He was well reported of by the brethren which are listed. Now you young men, listen to me tonight. You, you, you watch your name. You protect your name and you protect your reputation. And be a man of good report. Don't be a man of a bad report. Don't be around a bunch of goof-offs and waste your time. And don't be a womanizer and all those other kind of things. You be serious for the Lord Jesus Christ tonight. This young man here was a recommended enlistment. Paul saw great potential to this young man and enlisted him to go back with him in his travels. But notice something else. We see a recommended enlistment. But notice if you would, verses 4, I think, let's see, verses 4 and 5, we see something else here. We see a robust expansion. The Bible says, and as they went through the cities, they delivered them the decrees for to keep that were ordained of the apostles and elders were to Jerusalem. You say, what are we supposed to be doing discipleship? Exactly what the apostles did back in those days. The apostolic doctrine that they preached that day is the same apostolic doctrine we have today. Same word of God, same doctrine. Hey, listen, the blood of Christ is still efficacious, still cleanses us from all our sins. Amen. The bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ is still Bible. He's the God of the resurrection. That's still Bible. Amen. Is it not? I mean, I'm just saying tonight, they delivered those decrees of the churches that they might know what to do. I believe they held Bible conferences. I believe they held missions conferences. I believe they had revival conferences. I think they did the same thing that we do today. And notice as Paul was there with Silas. They delivered them the word of God and they preached the word of God. Verse 5 says, And so were the churches established in the faith and increased the number daily. Watch what's going on. If you look at verse 5 very carefully, there was a robust expansion. First of all, the word of God, people are being strengthened in the faith. Now I know sometimes it gets a little tiring, church, and I know it gets a little wary to take an extra night off and that, that we have for all these years. We've had, we have a, a spring revival and we have a fall revival and we have a missions conference and we have an anniversary conference and every now and then we'll asked you to come for an extra so many i realize those things can be a little wearing and i realize that those things can be a little tiring but i want to encourage you those things are necessary to help establish us in the faith so that we don't get used to being status quo that we don't get used to just being limited in what we do but that our faith can stretch and revive and encourage to do more for the lord jesus christ notice the churches the bible says were established in the faith and they increased in number daily now i used to read that and think that was talking about the numbers of people in the churches i believe it says that. But I also believe there were a number of churches that were started because of that. I think a number of churches were increasing daily. God's burden and desire is that we start churches. Church, listen to me tonight. Men, don't get satisfied where you're at. Ladies, don't get satisfied where you're at. What God has called us to start churches. God has called us to go places and do things. And listen, it, it irks me we go to places where we can start a children's work and we can get a church started there. Or it irks me that we can go somewhere over here and get a student ministry over here and start something for the Lord. I'm just saying tonight, the Bible says 
says they were established in the faith and they increased the number daily. Hey, there comes a time, college student and career student, where you've got enough Bible that you know it's time for you to step out by faith and do something for the Lord Jesus Christ. We see a robust expansion, but notice something else here. We see Paul in the midst of all this success. The churches were not stagnating. And by the way, stagnant churches get that way because they limit their soul winning. They limit their praying. They limit their involvement. They limit their, their discipling. That's how we stagnate. Once you miss one service, you get comfortable missing a few more services. Yes, sir. Yeah. So on vacation and nothing, nothing wrong with the church, the man of God, but whatever choice, he decided not to do away with the evening service. I'll be honest with you, I was miserable not going to evening service. Well, I said, would you watch live stream? I, I did, but it's not the same as going to church. Not the same. That's, that's, not, that's not Hebrews 10. Live stream is not Hebrews 10.25. Amen. It's not Hebrews 10.25. Not forsaking the assembly yourselves together. As the matter of some is. But so much more, the more as you see the day approaching. That's the Bible. That's the Bible. We're supposed to be in church. And we find all these excuses and reasons. Listen, you travel somewhere and you're gone for extended period. If you're not in a church for more than one, if you're out of church for more than one week, you're in big trouble. You're in big, big trouble spiritually. Don't tell me about how good your devotional life is. You'll become a spiritual Pharisee if you're not very careful, getting getting used to being out of church, and then you think you're above the church and above the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me remind you tonight, Jesus Christ is the Lord of the church. So notice we see a rigid exclusion in verses 6 to 8. You look on a map, Paul is burdened where he's at. He's in Derby and Lystra. There's Lyconia. And he feels moved. Now watch this tonight. He feels moved by, his inva- by an evangelistic spirit within him. That he wants to go eastward. He's thinking about the masses of people that are east. We have no un- understanding or idea to know whether or not he'd ever been there. But Paul was a very well-educated man. I believe a very well-read man. He knew enough about trade routes. He probably knew, knew of all these different kinds of things there. And he thought, you know, there's a masses of people eastward. And I, I said this this morning. I think if Paul had his way, he would have brought the gospel to India. I think if he had his way, he would have brought the gospel to Pakistan. I think if he had his way, he would have brought the gospel through the, the, uh, the, upper, the upper regions of Russia, going through Mongolia, through China. I believe if he had his way, he would have gone through all of the Korean border, which at that time had not been separated, as we know, as North and South Korea. I think if he had his way, he would have boarded the ship and God made his way over to the Philippines or to Taiwan. I think he would have made his way back around to Indonesia. I think he would have made his way through all of this, because that's just the kind of man Paul was. And notice what it says in verse 6. Now, when they had gone throughout, notice this, throughout Persia. Now, when I read that, it tells me this. Paul just wasn't traveling through there. I think he was giving the gospel out to people. He went throughout Persia. He was meticulously examining the cities, the location, the pockets of people, the villages, where hamlets, wherever people were at. He's, the Bible says that they had gone throughout Persia and the region of Galatia. He's going eastward. And notice we read verse 6. They were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia. The Holy Ghost said no. The Holy Spirit made very clear to him, no. No. And so the Bible says in verse 7, after they were come to Mysia, now he's making his way backwards, he comes to Mysia, and they say to go into Bithynia, and he wants to go to back, back near Bithynia. But notice in verse 7, but the Spirit suffered them not. Now we read two times here something that 
I don't know if it's ever bothered you when you read it. But it says the Spirit suffered him not. The Bible says the Spirit forbid him. And Paul desired to keep expanding the gospel outreach. And, you know, that should be our heart. We want to desire to expand the gospel outreach. I want to say to you tonight, don't be weary with just souls being saved. Let's start some churches. Don't be weary with more vision. Don't be weary with more expansion. Paul feels led to go east with the gospel. And the Holy Spirit forbids him. It means the Holy Spirit refused. He hindered or denied him from going. Somehow the Holy Spirit just said no. And he hindered him from going on from there. And so we see here that the Spirit of God told him he couldn't go. And notice something else here that it tells us here. It says in verse 7, They essayed to go. Underline that. And saying to go means he made every attempt he could to enter in there to try to find out if God's will was for him to go that area. He made every attempt to find out. He just didn't kind of throw a piece of paper out there. He literally physically put himself into it. He said to go in there and the Holy Spirit said no. The Spirit said no. He closed that door. Now let me say two things about these closures and closed doors by the Holy Spirit. Number one, let me tell you what the Spirit does not do. First of all, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit never tells you you are not called. The Holy Spirit never tells you you are not called. Don't sit in a service and fabricate, well, the Holy Spirit told me I'm not supposed to, uh, not, didn't call me. Don't ever say the Holy Spirit does not call. The Holy Spirit might forbid, but he, does, he doesn't say you're not called to anything. We use it as an excuse to get out of doing things for the Lord. Now, he either selects you for a specific field or he does not. If he has not tapped you on the shoulder and said, I want you to go over here, it's because you're exactly where the Holy Spirit wants you right now. You hear what I'm saying tonight? Okay. Sometimes people struggle about where am I supposed to go? If the Holy Spirit has not specifically tapped you on the shoulder and said, that's where you're supposed to go. You're exactly where you're supposed to be right now. And that's to the glory of God. Now, what does the Spirit do then? By the way, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit never uncalls you. If he calls you, he never uncalls you. That's a phenomenon with this generation right now. He doesn't uncall you. The, listen, the gifts and calling God are without repentance, the Bible says. So what does the Spirit do? Listen very carefully. There is a specific place God wants His choice servant to be. Now please understand something. There's no man in this room that can be in multiple places at one time. You can only be at one place at one time. The Holy Spirit can be everywhere at one time, but you and I cannot be everywhere at one time. The Spirit must be the one who gives us permission. Where the Holy Spirit says He suffered them not, He had not given Him permission to go. You say, why? Well, let me give you some reasons why. First of all, you may not be the best candidate for that field. Now, that's not speaking in a despairing way against us, but God had somebody else in mind to go east, to go into Asia, to take the gospel there, and it wasn't the Apostle Paul. You weren't the, he said, Paul, you're not, you're not the candidate I want for that place. Second, God always has someone uniquely prepared to represent him. God always has someone uniquely prepared to represent him, to be used of him in in a great way. We call that the anointing of God. God's anointing prepares you specifically for a place of service. Thirdly, God is uniquely prepared you for a place. You need to be praying, God, where am I supposed to be? If it's supposed to be right here at Heritage Baptist Church in San Leandro, then praise God, get both feet in and get involved for Jesus. Amen? Number four, notice this. Fourthly, there could be safety concerns the Holy Spirit is keeping you from danger from. There could be safety concerns. He doesn't want you to endanger yourself. He could be closing the door that moment of time. Fifthly, God is sovereign. God is sovereign. 
And he has a perfect timing for how and what he does when it comes to starting and building churches. And I said this this morning. Please listen very carefully. The mechanism the Holy Spirit uses, God uses to advance the cause of missions is through church planting. God works through his church. He uses men as his instruments, as his agents to start churches. Churches reproduce churches. We've had people come through here and says, well, I'm going to start a church. And my first question is, who is your sending authority? If you don't have a sending authority, you're going out and you don't have the blessing of God upon you. You can get, you can build a work and you can build a number. By the way, P.T. Barnum built a crowd too. Amen. You can build a crowd, but you better make sure you, you have the sending of God and the authority of a local New Testament church behind you. I've watched over the years, every now and then, there'll be somebody that just decides they're not going to be in conformity to the local New Testament church. They're going to go off and start their own work. Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my church. The sending authority for every man must be of a church. Churches reproduce churches. You find that over in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19, 20. So I don't believe that. You know, you can believe what you want, but that's what we believe the Bible teaches from this platform. The Holy Spirit made very clear to Paul, it was not God's will for Paul to go east. The Holy Spirit made very clear to him, he suffered him not, and he was forbidden of the Holy Spirit. Now listen to me tonight, we see these, the Spirit's roadblocks. Number one, roadblocks are never bad. Roadblocks are never bad. God is unfolding his will to us. Notice something else, roadblocks from God are designed to make us pray more. Paul didn't have a clear mind in verses 6 through 8 about what God wanted him to do. God led him back to the coastline city of Troas. He waited there for a period of time. <clears throat> now, if you know your Bible, later on in Acts chapter 20, he returns to Troas after his third missionary endeavor. Troas has a thriving church there. Paul preached there. In fact, the Bible says he preached until midnight there. I like that passage of Scripture. I won't do that to you tonight, though. Amen. You know, and he preached there, and uh, and he preached there, and, and a man fell out of the the man fell out of the window there. Remember that? And Paul went down and resurrected him and helped him come back to life there. But I believe Paul, at that moment of time, Paul may have been instrumental in sowing the seeds for the start of that church there in Troas. There. Now, notice something else. Roadblocks from God are designed to clarify the vision God wants us to go and do. Roadblocks from God are, are given by God so that we don't push doors out of our ambition, but instead that it's of the Lord's leading. Many times our ambition, our type A personality, or our drive sometimes runs ahead of God. And that may have been the case with the Apostle Paul. Maybe his type A personality was so driven, he thought about the masses eastward, and he wanted to go that way. But that wasn't God's will. God specifically, His Spirit suffered him not. The Holy Spirit said no. He gave him a rigid exclusion. Paul knew very Clearly, in verses 6 and 7, he was not supposed to go east. He was supposed to make his way to Troas. So we see the Spirit's roadblock. Notice verse 9 now, would you please? In verse 9, would you notice the second thing in our passage? Tonight, would you notice the stirring request? It was here while Paul is at Troas that he's waiting He's contemplating. He's at the place where God wants him to be. His type A personality had to wait on God. He had to, he had to realize that he had a push hard personality that had to stop and wait on the Lord. Paul did not have God's permission to go east. So now he's waiting on God. What do you want me to do, Lord? Do you want me to just stay here in Lyconia? What do you want me to do, Lord? Do you want me to go back to Jerusalem? What do you want me to do, Lord? Do you want me to go back to Cyprus? What do you want me to do, Lord? Do you want me to go west? I mean, you want me to go north? Lord, where do you want me to go? I, Lord, I, I need to clarity. And he just stayed there and he waited. And the 
the Bible says in verse 8, And they passing by Mysia came down to Troas. God had Paul at a place where Paul was teachable, where Paul was humble. He had a place where he had to wait for God's leading in his life. And he was sending a good example for Timothy and for Silas of learning how to wait on God and to follow the Lord's leading. He was showing them, don't be impulsive in your nature and don't be impulsive in your decision making and don't make knee-jerk reactions to things. Learn to wait on God and trust God because God's never late and God is never, never delayed. God is always on time in everything He does. And while He's there praying and while He's there waiting on God that evening, notice in verse 9 in one particular evening, the Bible says, And a vision appeared to Paul in the night and there stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. Would you notice what happened there? Paul was at a place where his mind was clear and his heart was pure and his soul was ready for God to do something. May I repeat tonight, his mind was clear and his heart was pure and his soul was ready for God to do something. Listen to me tonight. You're never going to be in a place where God is going to be able to speak to you and use you unless your mind is clear and your heart is pure and your soul is ready to receive something from the Lord. And so he was at this place where God was getting him ready there. And the Bible says in verse 9, A vision appeared to Paul in the night. It was a clear vision. It was a clear revelation. It was a solid enlightenment. It was like turning on the switch, the light switch in a darkened room. A vision appeared to Paul in the night. And Paul got a clear revelation from God. He received an unambiguous answer from God. God answered his prayer. God was showing him where to go. He received clear marching orders here in verse 9. In his vision, we see a stirring request. In this vision, he's given a beckon, a call a request, a summons. He said, there's some place I have you to go. And would you notice in verse 9, the Bible says, he saw a vision of a man in Macedonia who said, come over into Macedonia and help us. Would you understand tonight, would you notice what was contained in this vision that was so compelling to Paul? Would you notice tonight what was in this vision that was so urgent, or urgently placed upon his heart that made him understand what God wanted to do? There was no misunderstanding about it. First of all, did you notice, and this is, by the way, how God called to the mission field. And this is, by the way, how God will speak to hearts on Wednesday night and Thursday night and Friday night and Sunday morning and Sunday night. This is how God continues to speak through men and women and ladies. And God works through people like you and me. God works the same way. What kind of vision? What was in this vision that was so compelling to Paul? Number one, notice he had a vision of a man. There stood a man. God calls us to people. God calls us to people who are in need. He saw a man he had never seen before. He saw a man who needed help. More than all that, he saw a man that was going to hell. He saw a city where there were few Jews, no synagogue of the Jews. He saw a city, an area which was predominantly Gentile in nature. He saw an area that was very famous there in Rome. He saw an area that needed the gospel. He saw a man. And what you tonight... Think for me for just a minute. We need to see a vision of countries, of people, but of men. Men that are dying and going to hell. Paul was stirred because he saw a man. A man who needed to be saved. A man who needed to hear the gospel. A man who said, come over to Macedonia and help us, he saw. He saw a vision of a man. He saw a vision of a person. Notice, secondly, he saw a vision of a place. I believe when God calls men to the mission field, he has a place in mind. 
He has a place that He calls men to. He has a location where there's people and people who need the gospel. In a vision, and in a vision appeared to Paul in the night, there stood a man of Macedonia. He not only saw a, man, a person, but he saw a place. Why Macedonia? May I suggest a few reasons why? Number one, because of the fame of Macedonia. Macedonia was a very famous area, and Philippi specifically was a very famous area. It boasted a great Grecian and Roman history. If you study your history a little bit, that was the location where the assassins of Julius Caesar, uh, Brutus, and um, Brutus, if you would, and uh, and uh, and Cassius were confronted there by by two of uh, Caesar's men, Mark Antony and Octavius. There they met these men on the Via Ignatia Road. There they met them at Philippi. There was this great confrontation, and Brutus and Cass- Cassius were dealt with severely by Mark Anthony and Octavius there. It was a well-known area. It was rich in Greek culture. It was rich in the economy. It was rich in trade. It was predominantly a Gentile city, rich in Grecian and culture and Roman influence. It was a famous area. It was a place that perhaps when Paul was thinking, I, I probably shouldn't go there. It's probably got too much worldliness. It's probably got too much attraction. But God led him there. He saw a vision of a place that because of its fame, notice something else, God gave him a vision of this place, not only because of its fame, but but because of its freeway. And you study your history for a little bit. There, the road, the major road that the Romans built was called the Via Ignatia Road. It was a road, in, in, in our mileage, almost about 700 miles long. Paul traveled to and fro that road later on between there, Thessalonica, and other cities that he visited and preached the gospel. This was a major road. This was a trade route. It was a convenient route for Paul to go on. That road still exists today. as a common freeway down in that same area of the world. The Via Ignatia was a common way. He got sent in there because of the fame. God sent him there because of the freeway. But God sent him there not only that, God sent him there because it was a frontier. It was an area that needed someone to go to. It was an area that required a pioneer to go to. It was an area where a preacher had never gone. It was an area where no man had ever treaded before with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul saw this area as a gospel frontier. There were a few Jews there, so it put him in an uncomfortable position. He was called the apostle to the Gentiles. And now God was leading him there to people who were not of his ethnicity. And people that did not, that were not the same. He understood them. He could speak their language. He understood their culture. But Paul was comfortable with Jews. God said, I'm taking you out of your comfort zone and putting you in an uncomfortable position to work with Gentiles. When God calls us to missions, God takes us out of our comfort zone and puts us in a place where He tries to stretch us, to stretch our faith, to stretch our knowledge, to stretch our language, to stretch our finances, to stretch our dependence upon God. And God was sending him there because there was a frontier there. There were no churches there. And there needed to be somebody that would start a church. People needed the gospel. It was a needy city. This was a place where God wanted to be. God had Paul uniquely qualified to go there. No other apostle was qualified to go there. It was Paul who was qualified uniquely to go there to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul saw a vision of a person. Paul saw a vision of a place. God saw a vision of a priority. Now, a lot of us would be compelled by seeing the man. And a lot of us would be compelled by seeing the place. But the person and the place without the priority. You could go there for the wrong reason. You don't go to the mission field to be an expert in teaching English as a second language. You don't go to the mission field to be an expert in feeding the poor. Now, I'm not saying those things are wrong. And I'm not saying those aren't tools we shouldn't use. 
And we're not, you're not going there to predominantly be known for setting up a coffee shop over there. The priority is, is you saw this man. And listen, you think it's hard to do missions today? It was hard back in those days. Very hard in those days. And Paul still had the bumps and scars from his previous stoning. And Paul looks over there and he sees this vision of this man, a man with tears coming down his eyes. Some believe this could have been Dr. Luke appealing to Paul because Luke was not a Jew. Luke was a Gentile. In fact, he was very well versed in Grecian culture. Some believe it was, it was Dr. Luke that appealed to Paul to come over because right at that moment of time, we see in verse 10, Luke joins his gospel preaching team. Regardless of whether or not it was, he saw a vision of a person. He saw a vision of a place. He saw a vision of the priority. And the priority said this, come over to Macedonia and he prayed him come over and help us he said come over and help us come over and help us come down to our location come down to Philippi help us we need help help us we need the gospel help us we need a church started help us we need a preacher of the gospel help us we need someone who's bold about the faith help us we need someone who has faith in God help us we need somebody who has faith to believe God will start something here help us he said help us is the cry of a man endangered by flames help us is the cry of a man bobbing up and down in the ocean waves help us is the cry of a mother whose baby is trapped in a car after an accident and with superhuman strength tries to find a way to get inside that car help us is the cry of a man who's trapped beneath the earth in a subterranean cave. Help us is the cry of a parent that has a child that's trapped in a building that's crumbled because of an earthquake. Help us is the cry of someone who's lost a loved one in a tsunami and they're going through the rubble to try to find their loved one. Help us is the cry of someone who has a loved one who's keeled over because of a heart attack or because of a stroke and they dial 911 and they say, help us, please come over and help us. Help us is the cry of every, of, no matter what the casualty may be, help us is the cry of urgency. Can you see and hear this cry. Can you hear the Macedonian man crying out, come over and help us. Can you hear the man of Asia crying, come over and help us. Can you hear the man of Latin America crying, come over and help us. Can you hear the man up in Alaska frontier to say, come over and help us. Can you hear the man down there in Africa say, come over and help us. Can you hear the man over in Europe crying, come over and help us. Can you hear the man in Indonesia crying, come over and help us. Can you hear the man over in China saying, come over and help us. Can you hear the man down there in Colombia crying, come over and help us right now. Help us is the cry of the man of Morocco, a Muslim-dominated country of 19 million people where there's less than 0.1% of gospel outreach. The people of Morocco crying out, help us. Help us is the cries of the Aryan group of Pakistan, Muslim people group of 10 million people, less than 0.1% gospel influence. We're in the Philippines this early this year, and my last day I was introduced to two Filipinos. A lady, her husband, well educated people, laymen who are helping to finance the cause of getting mysteries in and out of Pakistan. The second man was a Filipino man that very humble in his appearance. Quite honestly, he needed a new suit. He needed a new pair of shoes on his feet. Gave me his prayer card. I still have it. Pastor Fong, I'm going to Pakistan. I'm growing my beard so I blend in with them. The lady standing next to us said, Sir, you need help to get down there. You go in the way you are right now, they will kill you the first week. 
He said, doesn't matter. I hear the cry. I'm going down to Pakistan. I'm going to Pakistan. Help us to cry of the Baniya people group of India, predominantly Muslim group, 29 million people, less than 0.1% gospel influence. Help us as a cry of the Hausa people, a people group of Nigeria, predominantly Islamic, 30 million people, less than 0.1% gospel outreach. We're reading a lot about Turkey these days, about the lira crashing and its impact on the dollar, and people worrying about the economies and all these other issues of Turkey. But I want you to look at something far deeper than that. Help us is the cry of the Turkish people of Turkey, a predominantly Islamic group of 56 million people and less than 0.1% gospel influence. Hey, Paul, here's a man of Macedonia. Come over. Come over. Help us. Help us. Help us. Help us. Come over to Macedonia. He prayed him and help us. We see the Spirit's roadblock. We see in verse 9 a stirring request, which you notice in verse 10, 11, a surrendered response. What did Paul do? He already had two no's. Did he circle back and question God? Did he have doubts in his mind? Did he go back to the drawing board and say, we need to review our strategic plan? Did he make a phone call to his Bible college mentor and say, hey, I got this call. What do you think about this? No, the call of God was clear as day. The voice of God was clear that day. Come over to Macedonia. He saw a person. He saw a place. He saw a priority. And so now, notice in verse 10, and after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, Assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us forth to preach the gospel to them. Would you notice Paul and his team make a surrendered response? There's no delay. There's no vacation time. There's no all this other stuff that goes on that's typical of our day. They made a surrendered response. Notice, first of all, it was a timely response. Notice what it says in verse 10. Immediately. When's immediately? Right now. Right now. The king's business required with haste right now. If you've got the call of God in your life, what are you waiting for? Right now. Immediately. Immediately. The Bible says immediately he endeavored. Immediately he endeavored. God took him out of his comfort zone. He was thinking about going to Asia. Now God wants him to go westward with the gospel. He's not sure where all this is going to lead, but he's just trusting God. Listen, it was a timely response. It was spontaneous with the vision. If God is calling, it must be now. Not only was it a timely response, notice it was a thorough response. There were no doubts. Would you notice how the transition goes after he had seen immediately we? (laughs) Went from he to we. Paul described in his entirety exactly what he saw. It was a very thorough response. It was not just Paul. He didn't have any rebuttals or pushback by Silas. And I think because Silas was a man already put himself, he had hazardous life for the Lord. He wasn't, he wasn't interested in th- trying to do all the strategic planning on this stuff. He said, well, you know, God, I'm ready to put my life down. If that's what God wants to do, I'm going to do it. And Timothy had already declared his, his allegiance to this. And, and Dr. Luke had, caught, had joined this because the notice in verse 10, the he turned to weed. Luke had joined the team at that moment of time. There were, there were no doubts. Notice the Bible uses a phrase here. It says, assuredly gathering. Do you see that? 
Immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering. Now it's two words in the English, but in the Greek it's one word. It's the word symbiazo. Symbiazo is where we get our word symbiotic from. Listen, they were on the same page. They had coalesced together. They decided together. They knew exactly this is what God wanted them to do. There were no doubts. By the way, there were no detours. They immediately determined that's what God wanted them to do. And you'll notice right immediately that they, it says in verse 11, therefore loosing from Troas. That same night, they, they got on a ship at Troas and they made a straight course to Samothracia and the next day to Neapolis and they made their way to Philippi. Listen, immediately they went there. It were no, there were no doubts and there were no detours. Sometimes people want to make a detour. Hey, by the way, Jonah the prophet made a detour that was unwarranted. John Mark made a detour that was unwarranted. He turned back. And sometimes along the way, we want to make a detour. We want to make a left turn, a right turn. We want to go a different route. We want to find a different way. No, Paul made a straight course. He knew exactly, I'm going to board the ship. I've studied the fares. I've studied the plan. I know exactly how I'm going to get there. We're going to make a straight course there. And they had to travel several cities, but they made their way there. There were no doubts. There were no detours. Notice there was no double guessing. It was thorough. There were no what ifs. There were no plan B's. They didn't give the devil time to mess with their thoughts. They made their way to the chief city, the capital of Macedonia, that province, city of Philippi. It was a timely response. It was immediate. It was a thorough response. The whole team was on board. But notice it was a team response. Church, when God calls us to do something, we need to go forward as a church. When God calls a man out and we have the certainty of God's calling, we may have our doubts and concerns. We need to be we need to have a team approach. We need to realize those missions to be here this week and those that we already support. We are part of that team. We're part of that group that's helping support them and sustain them and to keep them going and encouraging them. They go on and continue doing the work of the Lord. I'm saying tonight we see this evening the spirits roadblock. We see the stirring request. We see a surrendered response. But as we close tonight, would you notice the substantial results? If you've read Acts 16 in the book of Philippians, you know how this turns out. It's a great story. All because Paul made a surrendered response. He had a stirring request. He saw a vision of a man of Macedonia who prayed him, come over to Macedonia and help us. And he immediately went. But do you notice the results of this? First of all, do you notice the church and its organization one of the most well-organized churches, and they were all great churches, but one of the most well-organized churches that God had established in the New Testament was the church at Philippi. In Acts 16, we have the record of the salvation testimonies. We see a businesswoman getting saved, and God working through her, she opens her house up, and that became the location of the church. The first church was started in Philippi. That became the location, their meeting place. And then we see a teenager that was being taken advantage of by, by people. They were merchandising her. She gets saved, and the first teen ministry is established. Then we see a jailer get saved, and that becomes the first prison ministry being established. And not just a jailer, but his wife and his, and his family are getting saved. And then we go over the book of Philippians. We read about a lady called Euodius, and a lady by the name of Syntyche. Paul talks about this whole church. He calls them his joy 
carrying his crown. We read about a man by the name of Epaphroditus. I believe Epaphroditus was one of the fruits down there in Philippi, and he got nurtured under leadership. He went through discipling, became a disciple of Jesus Christ. He got nurtured in the Lord, and he got raised up, and Paul recommended him to be called as the pastor of the church because Paul calls him your messenger. And I believe this man gave himself exclusively for the church. We find a church, it's organization. We go to Philippians 1.1. We see a church that's well organized. We see a church that has pastors in all the different locations. We see a church that's one of only two locations mentioned in the New Testament that had deacons that were serving and coming alongside of the pastor. We find members of the church. We find the preaching of the gospel. We have a church that has problems. Every church has problems. But bless God, we have a God who's greater than all the problems. Amen? We have, we have a church that supports their first missionary. And their first missionary happens to be of all people, the Apostle Paul. Hey, we see the church in its organization. God was pleased to bless the faith and the obedience of a man who went there not knowing what to expect, who even went to jail for his faith. But he went on and prevailed. And God worked through all those circumstances. And we see prayer undergirding this great work of God. We see a church in its organization. But notice we see a church in its outgrowth. It didn't end with the church at Philippi. (coughs) God used Paul on the second missionary endeavor to do some great mighty things. He traveled down the Via Ignatia and he started the church at Thessalonica. He went further down the Via Ignatia and he started the church at Berea. And then he went from there southwards. He went down to Athens, that Greek, great, that great Greek culture church and started a church down in Athens. And from there he went down in the area of Achaia and he started a church down there at Corinth. And from there God led him over to Ephesus. And from Ephesus, God there, which is now modern day Turkey, God used that endeavor there. There was such a fire and a fervency down there at Ephesus of what God was doing. In two years' time, all of Asia Minor, all of Turkey had heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. I mean, we see a church that's alcohol. All because one man, one man's life in his ministry was changed because he heard the cry, help us, come over to Macedonia and help us. You don't know this, but you could be a help to this generation. You could change this generation if you just obey the cry, help us. You could help China by going, help us. You could help Taiwan by going, help us. You can help Indonesia by obeying, help us. You can help Thailand by going to help us. You can change Colombia by help us. You can change Argentina by help us. I'm saying tonight, do you hear the call of God? Help us, help us, he says. As I close tonight, let me tell you some stories about some people who obeyed the call of God besides the Apostle Paul. Tonight I'm thinking of a young preacher who pastored a church in Ohio. He attended what's called an evangelistic crusade. And that evangelistic crusade was a time of exhorting pastors and preachers and churches about missions. This young preacher heard a man by the name of Baker Cotham preach the word of God. Baker Cotham gave a stirring message about reaching the world with the gospel. Not long after that, that young preacher surrendered to go to the mission field. He was approved by BIMI Missions when Dr. Jacob Gartenhouse was the director. He was approved by BIMI in 1964. And he left for Osaka, Japan in February of 1965. What was his name? Dr. Don Sisk. Dr. Don Sisk learned the language back in the day and time. And by the way, his, his monthly support at that time was $500 a month. Dr. Six planted and started, which is still going on today, 50 years strong, the Senray Newtown Baptist Church. How many of our members have been to that church? How many of our members? The Tang family? Who else? Some of our members have been to that church. But Denny, did you make it over there that week? You didn't make it? The Tang family's been there. First convert in that church, Dr. Sigoro Gawa. 
was recently honored for 50 years in the ministry. First convert, first one to get married in the church, first man called to the ministry. Listen, if a church in Japan runs 40, 50 people, that's a good-sized church. That church is running well over 400 people, and they've got missions they support around the world. Out of that church, we support another missionary. Dr. Ogawa's son-in-law, Nathan Kanashita, is our missionary in Tokyo, Japan. All because an 85-year-old man, when he was in his 20s, heard the call, come over to Osaka and help us. Let me tell you about another man. Bob Hughes was a young man called to be a missionary to the Philippines. You're Filipino. You're Filipino. You're saved. You need to thank God every day for Bob Hughes going to the Philippines. I get around those Filipino preachers who are there, and they weep when they talk about Bob Hughes. It humbles me. Bob Hughes was a young man that went there without all the resources and tools we have right now. He went to the island of Cebu. There in Cebu, among the many converts he went to Christ, was a young medical doctor and his wife. The young medical doctor, his name was Dr. Armi Jasalva. Armi Jasalva is 85 years of age right now. Armi Jasalva has the energy of a 25-year-old man. Last year, he led his church on a campaign of getting the gospel to 100,000. I'm not talking about track passing. I'm talking about getting the gospel to 100,000 people in 30 days. Remember that? Remember that? 100,000 people in 30 days. Arnie McCulloch got saved in that church. Brother June Coronel, he's going to Zanzibar, was saved and the number three man in that church. He's going down to Zanzibar to start a church. He's one of our missionaries we're supporting this year. Army Jasalva pastors, not one of the great churches of the Philippines, is one of the great churches of the world. Over 10,000 people in that one location alone. That's the church you hear me talking about. Sometimes you get on a, you get on a, if you take a cab or whatever, or a public transportation around there, if you can't, you don't know the address, you tell them this, take me to the church where on the building it says the Bible, what the Bible says, and they know exactly what you're talking about there. Army Jasalva, the scores of missionaries and pastors and millions of souls saved, literally millions of souls saved, or all because Bob Hughes heard the call of God, come over to the Philippines and help us. By the way, it doesn't stop there. Bob Hughes got diagnosed with colon cancer in his early 40s. He didn't take good, very good care of his health. By the time they found he had colon cancer, it already spread. They couldn't do anything for him. He was in his early 40s. He went to a leading Bible college and preached a message entitled, I sat where they sat. At that time, that Bible college had as many as 2,500, maybe even that time, 3,000 students. Most of the men trained to be preachers of the gospel. Up in the balcony, I've heard the man's testimony. Up in the balcony was a backwards, forgotten, unknown man. A young man there studying the end of the ministry to be used of God. He was bashful. He was backwards. 
If you looked at him, he didn't look like he'd amount up to anything. That young man who was recently married turned to his wife, Becky. He said this, honey, is Holy Spirit speaking to you like he's speaking to me? She said, he sure is. Let's go down that aisle. We're surrendering to go to the Philippines. Who's that young man? Dr. Rick Martin. Dr. Rick Martin pastors the Elo Baptist Church in Elo Elo. Dr. Rick Martin, I've been there on a midweek service when they have 1,500 to 2,000. That midweek service was at that night. 45 people trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior. The invitation went longer than the preaching time, if you can imagine that. Dr. Rick Martin, because of what God has done through his life, has surrendered life. There are thousands of men in the ministry, thousands of churches around the world. They say, and this is as of five years ago, they say that one new church is starting every six days from the fruit of what Rick Martin started there in Elo Elo. One new work every six days. All because Bob Hughes heard the call of God come over to the Philippines and help us. Next year, you're going to meet a friend of mine. A young preacher went to Heartland Baptist Bible College, trained there, got the call of God, got a desire for church planting. Every January, Heartland Baptist Bible College, in association with Southwest Baptist Church, has the best church planters conference ever. They'll raise hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars. We've given thousands of dollars to our missions endeavor to help church planters all over the country. I've been there preaching that conference. It's a stirring conference. This young man graduated from Heartland Baptist Bible College, interned for a little bit there, and God put the call on him to go to San Diego County to start a local independent Baptist church. He worked hard. He's a great preacher of the Word of God, a great student of the Word of God. Heartland does a good job training their men to be expository preachers of the Word of God. And this young man went down to San Diego County, started a church there, and just did a great did a great work for God. Where after about three or four years, maybe about four years, he was running between 50 and 100, just trying to keep it stable and keep it going. Got it even to the place where he was self-supporting. But because he had a special needs child that took demanded a lot more time, he realized that his capacity and his wife's capacity, taking care of all their children, plus a special needs child, they didn't have enough capacity to take care of that. He started praying and searching God's will for his life. And of all things, God opened a pastorate for him to take that was a little bit more stabilized for him. And he took a pastorate up, up in, the, in the state of Idaho and has been there for the last three years. And this man has been up there just leading the work. He took a church that was stagnated and he got the church going. He got the church to double in size and he got the church growing and winning souls. I still remember just a few years ago, that brother, brother, this man, David Hetzer, brother Hetzer would every now and then would text me 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock night. Hey, brother, I got a question about soul winning. How do you do it this way? And how about this way? And sometimes we'd spend an hour and a half on the phone late at night, 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock at night, texting, calling each other. Sometimes he'd call me out the blue and say, I'm going to do something here. What do you think about this? David Hetzer is very settled in his ministry there in Idaho. Just two weeks ago, I got a call from Brother Hetzer. Brother Fawn, pray for me. God's been working on me and my wife. We surrendered a few weeks ago. We're going to the country, Sri Lanka, as missionaries, effective October 1st. I, if my suspicions are right, because his sending church would be Southwest Baptist Church, I believe he got under the influence of Terry Unruh. Amen. Come over and help us. Terry Unruh and Myra were young, a young couple serving down outside of Houston, Texas. A very successful church in the early 80s. Brother Unruh was under the influence of Casey Thomas, Sam Thomas's father. 
In a few more years, Casey Thomas will be listed as one of the great missionaries of our generation. And Casey Thomas invited Brother Unruh to go down there to India, the Kerala area, to preach the gospel. Listen, he preached for several days in evangelism campaign. Over 500 people trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior there in, in India. God started working his heart and Myra's heart. And they started praying about, God, do you want us to go to India? And Lord, do you want us to go there? And they were just they were just praying and going back and forth. And they helped start some, not only did they help win people to Christ, but he led his church to Grace Baptist Church to give substantial amounts of money to help establish five different churches in that area. And they gave to help build those buildings of something. I'm praying that we'll, we'll do eventually here one day. We'll help some of these churches to build their buildings. And he went behind that. And so finally he just was struggling in his heart. And he went there in 1980, back in 1988 and with his wife and his Three children and went there to find out what God wanted to do. But the God made very clear to them after four days there. God made very clear after four days there by God's word and by the Holy Spirit of God. God said, no, Terry, I don't want you in India. There was very clear in his heart and his devotions, his wife's devotions during the first four days they were in India there in the Kerala area. They just knew that God didn't want them there. And, and they just they felt like, you know, we thought God wanted us there. But God made very clear as he did with Paul. The spirit suffered them not. And they felt relieved and they came back to their pastor there, uh, there down there in Texas. But he was the most miserable man for the next several months. He preached, he won souls, he did everything. But there was an unrest in his soul. And, and, they, and, and part of the unrest they found was when they made their way back from India, they had to make a, they had to make a stopover in Sri Lanka. While he was there in Sri Lanka, he was in a cab, and the cab was taking him to the airport. Halfway along the way in the traffic, the cab driver stopped in front of a, Buddha, a statue of Buddha. The cab driver stopped in front of this big statue of Buddha, put the car in park, left the engine running. Brother and Mrs. Unruh wondering, what's going on? The man walks up to the statue of Buddha, this huge statue of Buddha, drops a bunch of money into a box, bows down and starts doing his, his thing to Buddha there, and he prays her for a long period of time. He gets up off his knees, comes back to the car, and Brother Unruh is kind of just unshoveled, disheveled by what's going on there. He says, sir, what, what were you doing? What was going on? He said, oh, sir. He said, I was praying to Buddha that Buddha would protect me because the traffic here is very bad bad here in this city and you never know if this might be the last time you're driving there and brother Unruh thought yeah i've experienced the traffic here maybe that's a good thing you did pray amen but he was praying to buddha and then brother Unruh thought about this man he said sir let me ask you a question how old are you the man said i'm 46 years of age he said you know who jesus christ is he said who's jesus christ and there in that car, cab drive on the way to the airport, Terry Unruh gave the man the gospel of Jesus Christ and realized this man had never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he and his wife were praying along the way as they got to the airport, as they checked in their baggage, as they boarded their plane, and they went from Sri Lanka back to Texas. They were praying, God sent a missionary there, God sent a missionary there. They didn't realize they were miserable for all that period of time because God said, you are the missionary, Terry Unruh. And we know the rest of the story right now because Terry Andrews, since 1991, 1992, has been a mystery there in Sri Lanka doing a great work for God. What are you waiting for? What are you doing? There are other needy areas besides Macedonia. The more needy areas and we've got workers going there. There's a vision of a man from Macedonia who's praying you and he's saying, come over to Macedonia. Help us. Help us. Help us. Help us. And Paul's response was immediate. Would you help them? Will you go? Will you be open to the leading of the Lord? Be willing to give your life? Would you start winning souls now? Would you start going after souls? And reaching people 
of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Those two words will change your life. Those two words will change your ministry. Those two words can change a Sunday school class. By the way, those two words can change this church right now. Come over to San Leandro. Help us. Come over to the San Francisco Bay Area. Help us. Come over to China. Help us. Come over to India. Help us. Come over to Indonesia. Help us. There stood a man who cried, come over and help us. Father, tonight, as we begin our missions conference, we ask in a very tender and a compassionate way that the Spirit of God will have spoken Paul didn't delay. There were no doubts. There were no detours. There's no double guessing. Holy Spirit, as you've led me tonight, I've tried the best I can by your guidance and leadership to encourage your church to hear the cry of the world. Help us. You gave us a promise in Psalms 2.8. Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thy inheritance. And Father, tonight, there are nations, people that need to get saved. Lord, across the room, we have a great church family of people who can do more for the gospel, do more in winning souls, having people in church, having people hear the wonderful gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, forgive us. We've lost our tears. We've lost that passion, that urgency. Lord, Somehow our thoughts are blurred and we can't see the vision. But the vision was very clear. It was of a person. It was of a place. It's a priority. And I believe there's some sincere people in this room who perhaps have been praying about an area of the world that know it's time to be immediate and obey God and follow Him tonight. Holy Spirit, help us not to be overwhelmed by peer pressure, by family pressure, by career pressure. Only one thing, the Spirit of God who presses in our heart to obey Him. I pray right now, Lord, as we give the invitation to be a spirit of obedience. Number one, to pray for our missionaries. Pray for this conference. Number two, Lord, there be a spirit of obedience to participate in faith promised missions on a financial basis. Once and again, the Apostle Paul said. Thirdly, I pray, Lord, that you call up from our midst. I pray there be something you do in this church. A young couple. A young man whose imagination be stirred will trust God by faith, which you use me. And I realize tonight there are two categories. There are those that you call and those who are supportive. And those who are in a supportive role, help them be clear in their mind, Lord, what that support role is. Father, would you have your way tonight? Deliver us from a spirit of timidity, a spirit of fear, because the Bible says God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Lord, the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. We must do all we can to advance your cause. As we give invitation tonight, help us to be moved with hearts that are burdened and concerned for the gospel outreach. We commit these things to you. And then tonight, if someone's here and doesn't know Jesus Christ as their Savior, maybe tonight on the start of our missions conference, they open their heart and call upon Jesus to save them. Lord, here and on live stream, would you work in hearts that be a great stirring in our lives to do something for the Lord. We pray for this now of you, Lord, in Jesus' name. As we stand, you make your way forward. You stand. God's impressed with you. You need to find your way at the altar tonight. What are you waiting for? What does the Lord want you to do? He saw a vision of a man of Macedonia, a person, a place, a priority. 
Lord, what do you want me to do? Young person, young person, do something great with your life. Go to the mission field. Serve God. Honor the Lord. Be someone. Well, just trust God for your next step. He only needs to give you enough light for the very next step. Would you trust Him tonight? Do something for the Lord tonight. Stop playing around. Timothy was serious for the Lord. Timothy was well reported of the brethren at Lystra and Derby. And Timothy got the excitement of being part of a great missionary team. May I encourage you tonight? Our church is 19 years old. It's time for a breakout. It's time for a breakthrough. It's time for obedience. Would you obey God? Would you come tonight? Help us. Help us. My prayer this week is God would bother our thoughts with those two words. Help us. Help us. Heavenly Father, thank you that you so love the world that you gave your only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Don't just dismiss us tonight with your blessing. Dismiss us tonight with a burden, with a yearning, a desire to be used of you. Father, we pray for the preparation for missions conference. Help us to set apart the time, Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Sunday, to be in our place, to obey the Lord, to reorganize our time, to hear the word of God, to be challenged by the missionaries, to go forth and be used of the Lord. Have your way tonight. Be glorified in the lives of your people. We beg you tonight to do something great, marvelous, miraculous in lives. Change our lives. Change our church. Change the ministries that are found here in this church. We pray for this of you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for bearing with me tonight. I wanted you to just catch it this evening as we get ready for our missions conference. And all day today, I think really everything we need for our missions conference, we heard in Sunday school and the morning service, the evening service. And just be prayed up this week, if you would. Pray for those missionaries coming. And ask God to work your heart specifically tonight. If you can, just look around. You can help me. Just make sure everything's clean around the seats and the area there. That would be a blessing. Just a couple things. Uh, uh, on, the, on, the, on the Berean Center, now, especially for teenagers. Teenagers, listen to me tonight. Okay. Now, that Berean Center, when, when church is over on Sunday morning, Sunday night, you're not supposed to be lingering, hanging out upstairs and hanging out around there. That's not a hangout area. That, that is a classroom area. You're supposed to vacate out of there. And we found some people in there today that were kind of messing around. They're not supposed to be in there. I understand? Yes, Amen? Amen? It's not supposed to be. So you're being able to No, I don't. There's, there's, we don't, no monkey business in there. That's not a hangout area. Please, there's plenty of space. There's a courtyard here. You can fellowship, do things of like that. And please remember, don't bring any food inside the building there. We're trying to keep pests away and things like that. Help us with that. And that will be a blessing there. Well, be here Wednesday night. And uh, we're looking forward to a great time at 7 o'clock for the missions conference. You need something. We'll be lingering around here at the front to be a blessing, help with you. God bless you for being here tonight. You're dismissed.